What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. It is so good to be with you. This is a very special episode. Let me just say, if this is your first time hearing about us or listening to an episode of the podcast, welcome. My name is Tim. I'm the host slash creator and facilitator of the New Evangelicals. We actually do a lot more than just podcasting. We're actually a nonprofit organization that focuses on holding space for folks marginalized by the evangelical church, advocating for accountability inside of evangelical spaces, and we help people explore Christianity outside the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. So we do a lot of things, and the podcast is just one part of that. But I'm so happy you're here, especially if this is your first time, which makes me sound like a pastor. Oh my gosh, if this is your first time here, we want to give you a special gift. (laughs) Okay, I'm done. Sorry about that. Did not mean to trigger you if I did. Anyway, this episode is super special. I interviewed Billy Corbin. Now, Billy is a documentary filmmaker, and he most recently did the documentary God Forbid, which talks about the Jerry Falwell and Becky Falwell sex scandal and tells the story of the Falwell's quest for power and using evangelicalism to get that. It also ties in amazing threads to Christian nationalism. And so I brought Billy on to talk to him about it. I mean, I had to know, did he grow up in evangelical spaces? Why did he make the documentary? Is he aware of the impact this is having for folks like me who have had people tell me that I'm gossiping by sharing articles about Jerry Falwell living a life of sexual promiscuity according to his own beliefs? I asked him all that and more, and what follows is my episode with him, so I really hope that you enjoy it. That being said, I want to say, as always, thank you so much for listening to the show. Hey, big news. We are doing a live in-person recording um, in Chattanooga, Tennessee with April Joy and Mike from Mad Priest Coffee. Tickets are available now. You can get them in, our, in the show notes. Um, I'll have a link there for you. Come hang out with me and April and Mike, and let's talk about evangelical culture, trying to find community. I'm sure we'll talk about... April's amazing TikToks and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, these these conversations always take a life of their own. We're going to have a live studio audience that hopefully includes you. We're going to hang out. We're going to roast some, I don't know, marshmallows by the fire. Maybe we'll even throw something in the fire that represents our sin, just like how Jesus paid it all on the cross. I don't know. I'm just saying. Anyway, like I said, tickets are in the show notes. Pick them up. I'll see you in Chattanooga December 16th from 6 to 10 o'clock. It's going to be a great time. I cannot wait to meet you and hang out with you. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my special episode with Billy Corbin, the director of, God forbid, the Jerry Falwell Jr. sex scandal documentary. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes and the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that. All right. Well, it is really an honor to have you on uh, the podcast, Billy. Like I said before we started recording, thanks so much for making time, and thanks again for the documentary. God forbid was... uh, I can't say I enjoyed watching it, but it was a necessary watch, and uh, I appreciate you putting it together, frankly. Well, thanks, and and thanks for inviting me. 
Absolutely. I always like asking our guests ahead of time or you know on, on the show to kind of kick us off. I'm always curious about their their engagement with, in, in particular, evangelicalism. Did you grow up in any of those spaces? Was that a world that was foreign to you until you started doing this documentary? What was that like for you? Well, I was born Jewish uh, in Miami. Um, I suppose I was raised Jewish, but but not very observant. I suppose you could call me a lapsed Jew at this at this point um, in my life, um, but I was very intrigued by religions plural. I would say, um, I, yeah. I uh, much to the annoyance of some ex girlfriends, uh, I, I like to listen to Christian rock on the radio. I I, I watched TBN. Uh, the Trinity Broadcast Network, pretty, <laughs> wow. pretty, pretty obsessively. Um, I, I was, I was just intrigued by um, not only beliefs, but but what people were willing to do for them in service of them, how people were willing to um, to exploit them, um, and and I, I don't know, I, and 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 I was intrigued by the the entertainment value of it. I suppose I, I was, mm. I was, you know, growing up. Jewish, there was never any proselytizing. We were never interested in converting anyone to right. our cause. We were never judgmental about your burning in hell and suffering for all eternity if you didn't believe what right. we believed. You know, um, right. yeah. you know d- despite all the chosen people stuff, there was a real live and let live kind of you know kind of quality to it. That for me was you probably hear this a lot from American Jews was mostly cultural. It was about yeah. the socialization. It was about family. It was about telling stories and allegories that would teach us lessons to be better people and to fight against oppression. Really, that was what Judaism mm. really meant to me. If I had to, to sum it up, it wasn't about worship. It wasn't about you know synagogue or temple. It was about understanding what it meant to be uh, you know for people to be persecuted and to and to and to avoid that and to accept. I think other people's um, other people's beliefs. And I always thought to myself, what does Jesus need all this money for? I mean, they're on, they're on TV 24 hours a day with the you know, phone number, like asking for this money. And, and then, uh, you know, and, and I thought, what if Jews did this? Can you imagine if there was a cable network where Jews were just asking everybody to send them in money or they were going to burn in hell or, or whatever, yeah. like all the, I, I was, but I was, but, I, but it wasn't judgmental. It was like, to me, sociologically, so yeah. so compelling and and um i don't know i i, I was i was intrigued by it I mean, that is all fair. It's, it's actually interesting because today, we, as of this recording, we just released our episode where I talked to Rabbi Mike Harvey. He wrote a book called A Jew Speaks to Christians. And we actually had these conversations uh, that that came out. And he mentions a lot of this stuff. And by the way, let me also say, you're more than welcome to curse on the podcast. Okay, You can say bullshit. No problem there for me, just so you're aware of that. I know some people see the evangelical name and they go, I don't know how I should respond. You can just speak your mind on this stuff. But I really agree with you, even as, even as a kid growing up in fundamental evangelical spaces. I was homeschooled for nine years, you know, really grew up in the, you know, we have to tell people that if they don't get saved, they're going to burn in hell. Um, I had a lot of the same questions of like, man, is that the way it has to work? And why do people need so much money to do it? Uh, and I think that that's what led a lot of people, including myself, to I would still claim to be obviously a follower of Jesus, having the account, the new evangelicals, but but really critiquing my own evangelical heritage and saying, uh, I think it might be more about power and control than about actually, like you said, trying to fight oppression and do the good and the best thing for our neighbor. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I was fascinated by like Benny Hinn 
And what's oh, his yeah. what's his yeah. name? The guy who's still around with the miracle healing water. Um, I mean, Peter uh, Popoff. Baker. Peter Popoff. Oh, Peter Popoff. Yeah, I mean, like fascinating and like and 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 um and all and and uh the prosperity gospel and creflo yep. dollar that's a little more yeah. contemporary but yeah but growing up i mean we came of age during the ptl scandal and and jim baker and 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 jim and uh, uh, jim, and, jim and jimmy Faye, jimmy swaggart um and then of course um jerry falwell senior trying to navigate that controversy because it was really dragging down sort of all the televangelists and their credibility and their ability right. to raise money. And yeah, I mean, right. like, like, so there was, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we, we grew up with a, with a great deal of, of questions and, and cynicism um, or, or let's say bare minimum healthy skepticism about right. not religion per se, but the people who were the leaders of it, you know, uh, and, and, right. and, you know, and, and who were, you know, like I say about this documentary, God forbid, it is not about Christians and Christianity. It is about people who exploit Christians and Christianity for power and profit. And that, I think, is what was always so intriguing to me about about organized religion. I I, I think you couldn't have said any better. And we tell people the same thing where it's like, listen, we're not – I'm still committed to Jesus. That's why I do this work because I'm concerned about what's happening in, in his name by these people. So is that what drew you to the documentary uh, and trying to cover the Jerry Falwell Jr. scandal? I'm not sure what you want to call it. What, was it that you always had this fascination with this like evangelical megachurch culture or what drew you to it? I mean it's, it's always been sort of in, in the back of my mind I suppose. It's almost – you know. Uh, more of a hobby, just sort of like, you know, armchair uh, historian or sociologist, <laughs> sure. um, you know, and, and I think I want to make it clear too. like, I have seen, I have seen faith heal people, um, not mm. necessarily physically, but, but spiritually, mentally, I've seen faith perform what I would consider real miracles, not, you know, water into wine, but, but taking right. a drug addict and turning them into a responsible parent and, you know, and, and productive member of society, I'm seeing yes. faith transform a murderer into a veritable saint, um, in comparison to their, to their early, you know, their, their younger years. I mean, sure. I, I'm a great believer in, in, in what works for you. Um, you know, and I don't smoke pot, but if smoking pot does that for some people too, let, <laughs> but like, that's cool. Like, like right. do it. Um, and, yeah. and, um, and, and I, you know, I know that people, particularly in a program in sobriety, like they can't do it without a higher power, um, with, without the ability to call on whatever that God is to, to find the internal strength, to, to change their compulsion every day to use or to drink or to, you, to, you know, whatever, it, you know, snort or inject or whatever it is that has been destroying them. Um, you know, that's, that's the demon and that's the God to me, like, but, but that's a very real thing. Like that's a very tangible thing. That's something that you can see. Um, and, and I'm, and I believe, but, but what the famous jurist one said, your right to wave your arms around ends where my nose begins. And so right. when you start to impose your, um, you know, your beliefs, uh, and, and, and more importantly, want to transform the government in a way that is antithetical to the values of our constitution. And even, even, the founding fathers who were not secularists were very well aware of the danger of, of the church being too involved in, uh, in, yes. in the government. They had just escaped that. This was the, the form of government. They were deliberately, uh, uh, um, uh, 
uh, creating to avoid that. And, and, and when, uh, you know, and, and when we, we, we watch, I should, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here because I, I want to answer your question. Um, sure. Which is to say, let's be real. You know, yeah. it's, it, the subtitle of the documentary is the sex scandal that brought down a dynasty. So we were initially drawn in by the candy, if you will, the se- you know, the sex scandal, um, right. which was to, to us a fascinating story about hypocrisy and abuse of power. Um, but um, an interesting thing happened on January 6th of 2021 and the conversation about this term yeah. Christian nationalism, not something I was mm-hmm. really familiar with because it's yeah. such a... It's such a foreign concept to our country and to our values and to our way of life that I, I didn't really know what that was. And so, but but that's when we realized that maybe this story is bigger than just the quote unquote pool boy sex scandal, that that maybe we have a more important responsibility to tell the story. You know, yes, that's the micro, but the macro is this this story of the 50-year multi-generational evangelical dynasty that had outsized influence over over presidential politics yeah um the audience who is listening to this can't see me nodding my head furiously at, <laughs> at everything you're, you're saying gonna, you're but gonna you get a concussion tim yeah. <laughs> i can't help it you know instead of interrupting you i'll just nod i have to get it out somewhere because you're totally correct i mean you know we've been tracking christian nationalism for about two years now um the january 6th insurrection was Man, I mean, it, it was a moment for me that was just, oh my God, what the fuck is happening? You know, I could not believe it. But as I studied this more and started listening to folks in this world, all of a sudden it began to make a little more sense. And Jerry Falwell Sr. in particular was one of the folks who, um, you know, I was kind of taught a, a mythologized version of the moral majority. Oh, the moral majority functions to, to, to end abortion. Well, not really its origin story. You know, it's actually a lot more, a, a lot darker and more cynical than that. Um, over segregation and even even Christian schooling really being birthed out of parents saying, well, no son of mine will go to school with with, with a black person. So we'll start our own private school um, um, you know, series. We've, we've covered that. So I really do want to say I sincerely appreciate that 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 you maybe pivoted a little bit and included and tied those threads together because a lot of folks might think oh well Jerry follow senior or junior just made a small mistake and you know no big deal which is kind of the Christian thing to say these days for a lot of reasons that I don't like but you know deeper than that the dynasty of the Falwells and how he really brought Trump to the forefront and really pushed a lot of what we're seeing now of Christian nationalism is a narrative that goes largely untold so thank you for sharing it in that documentary because it was so needed to see that way. Oh, thanks for, for saying that. Um, you know, you work on these things for for years and you wonder if, well, A, if, you know, anyone's going to see it and then B, if anyone's going to get it. And, and that was certainly the idea was to, was to make it a little bit more thought-provoking. Certainly not to to kink shame the Falwells, who to me seem like a great time. I'd love to party with uh, Jerry Jr. And, and Becky Falwell, hop on the Liberty University private jet down to Miami and, uh, you know, go to the nightclubs and, and swingers clubs and what have you. And I, I, I don't know, they really do seem like a, they seem like a lot of fun. You know, um, the, the issue, of course, becomes, you know, this holier than thou hypocrisy and the idea that they would Im- impose this this way to live. Well, this this what's become so dangerous about leaders in our time, which is do as I say, not as I do. The idea yeah. that 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 uh, there's a party that would that would put women in jail for getting abortions, but the men who finance them go to the U.S. Senate. I mean, it, there, there definitely <laughs> right, is a disparity right. uh, there, yeah. and and I think a, a disparity as well between the leadership 
of Liberty University under Jerry Falwell Jr. And let's say the true believers, you know, the people who not only believe in the in in or follow the gospels, but who believed in in the mission of that institution, for better or worse. But but yeah. who at least had some purity of motive and spirit and whose parents wanted to send their 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 kids there to be protected and to and to learn on you know uh, 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 under a certain set of values. Like so be it. Like that's their that's their decision right. and that's their prerogative. Right. But but to have them punished for dancing and punished for cohabitating or, or sex outside of wedlock or or swearing or drinking or yeah or so right. I mean like you know get out of here um right while right. the leaders of that that's that's the thing like if there's real you know I, I call God forbid it's like the movie get out meets the righteous gemstones um because like Giancarlo <laughs> yeah. is kind well of put. yeah he's kind of honey trapped into this world of power and privilege he's he by his own uh, description is is intoxicated by this world being in the Falwell's inner circle rubbing shoulders with the most powerful people uh, in the world uh, and and he's and and a partner in a multi-million dollar uh, a real estate venture less than one year after meeting Becky Falwell at his job as a pool attendant at the Fountain Blue right. Hotel. I mean like it's also it's right. nuts and he was aware that this is like I'm living in a movie I'm living in a dream um, and and of course it turned eventually get out style it turned into a nightmare yeah no, uh, you're 100 percent correct. Um, what you know, I'm kind of curious. You know, how much um, engagement or 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 research did, did did you have while making this documentary? When it came to like, there's a there's a pretty decent movement of former Liberty students who are advocating for change and accountability. Were you able to to be in contact with any of them or or, or get their thoughts on, on what you were creating? Because when that documentary came out, many reached out to me directly saying, "Oh my God, this is my experience." Also, some even said, "I'm still at Liberty, and really nothing has changed uh, regarding you know how 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 they." treat have you had did you have any interaction with with, with, with students from liberty while making the documentary I'll, I'll answer the former first uh, and then address the latter uh, yes we we interviewed dustin wall of save 71 in the documentary in addition to talking to several other people off camera um with similar uh <laughs> similar uh, uh concerns um and and passions for reform um at at, uh, at liberty uh hmm. and um it was very informative and, and because again, this is sort of where I say, like, if there were, if there was collateral damage or real victims of this scandal, it, it certainly would be, it would be the Liberty students and the faculty, people who, again, those who may uh, have purity of, of motives and intentions. Uh, and yet as a result of this, this scandal, um, the quality of their education was diminished. The value of their diploma was diminished. Certainly the reputation of, of their institution what, what was diminished. Yeah. Listen, I'll tell you after, after that loss to FSU this weekend, I'm embarrassed to say I graduated from the university of Miami. So I can only, <laughs> I can only imagine, you know, and, and, <laughs> so when, when I hear people like, and this has been a, a very popular sentiment on Twitter over the last week, uh, in, in, in response to the documentary, people saying, I'm embarrassed that that's my alma mater. Now what a terrible thing to feel, you know, like, like, you know, you, you spent, for important years there, you probably spent some important money, or your parents important, you know, some a lot of money. Your parents there, and and, and I, I I don't yeah, like yeah. I don't I don't think there's any joy in that. I mean, you know, I I like it. I think it's I think it's a shame that people would would feel that way about their about their alma mater because they're embarrassed that other people, you know, uh, uh you know, are are learning this about about the school. But I, you know, but the last thing you said, it's a shame to hear that 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 maybe the, you know the change is not coming um, fast enough or satisfactorily enough for 
for some of the students there. And I really, I really, and, and I wish them well. I know Giancarlo did. Giancarlo, uh, uh, at first, he did not see the Falwells as hypocrites because they weren't religious leaders to him. He, he knew them as the party right. couple in Miami, in Miami. Like he didn't, right. they didn't proselytize to him. And despite the fact that, that, Rebe- uh, that, that Becky Falwell, uh, Giancarlo says repeatedly told him you're perfect in terms of his, um, you know, he went to Catholic school. He was raised as a, as a, a Republican, uh, down here in, in Miami. Um, and so, um, they, I guess they, he fit the profile in terms of what they were looking for, um, in yeah. this, in this relationship. But when, when he started to make relatively rel- regular trips to, to Lynchburg to stay with the Falwells and, and visit the campus and they would make repeated overtures to him to come and work there for them at Liberty in, and live in Lynchburg to be closer yeah. to them. He started to feel bad for the students who, who he, he was 21 years old, 20 years old. Like he related to them and, and he sort of felt like, you know, maybe these folks should know who the leader of their, their university is and who it is that is enforcing these, these very strict rules that, that, that compromise their, their financial future with these monetary fines that compromise their, their academic and economic futures with, um, you know, with, with, with suspension and possible expulsion really over the same exact conduct that Giancarlo was partaking with the Falwells daily. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, again, growing up in, in this whole world of, uh, of just evangelical thinking, it, it, this is scandals like this are not new. Um, and I'm sure you know that there's there's a whole um, army and, and, and list of people who have engaged in behavior that is hypocritical and sometimes downright harmful, whether it's actual, you know, abuse or something like that. And you're right. You know, I I as well, where, with, with where I am with my sexual ethics, I'm like, listen, if that's your thing, like it's your thing. You know, it's not my thing, but it's your thing. But when you're running a school and also running political campaigns advocating for quote unquote family values and traditional marriage and how the libs are trying to take over America and destroy the the, the country, et cetera. And then this happens. And then on top of that, other faith, uh, other leaders in those circles, like, um, like Franklin Graham, for example, who, who's outspoken says nothing uh, about Jerry Falwell Jr. Or it goes under the rug. It really gets people like me incredibly fired up. I mean, I'm really reserved here because I'm, I'm, I'm interviewing live. But you know, behind the scenes, sometimes I just say a lot of swear words and go. I still, even though I grew up in this world, cannot believe how the blatant hypocrisy is so in front of your face. And these leaders who claim to have the objective truth of God's word, quote unquote, uh, and you know, and, and God's objective truth is is this sexual ethic says nothing. So I'm curious for you, was it? For you personally, was it astounding to see the blatant lies and cover-ups that weren't even that good of a cover-up be accepted in evangelical spaces? Or for you, and, and based on the work that you do, is this kind of just like par for the course? Do you like aliens, UFOs, cryptids, and the supernatural? What about self-defecating humor? Uh, actually, it's self-deprecating humor. Well, you may both be right. Alien Theorist Theorizing is a comedy podcast that examines cases like Roswell. Bigfoot, or the Atacama alien. If any of these topics pique your interest, subscribe to Alien Theorist Theorizing free anywhere you find podcasts or go to alientheorists.com. Well, I'm from Miami, so um, <laughs> it's pretty, it's, you know, all, all of this is, you know, what we call a Tuesday in Miami, um, you know, hmm. and so, no, I mean, I, I'm rarely shocked, but 
regularly disappointed. Um, and yeah, so, uh, good way I, of putting it. I, I, yeah. I, this is, I think, one of the most surprising things I learned, thanks to Randall Balmer. Um, uh, you know, who not only explains his his um, this history in our documentary, but but does so even more thoroughly in his 2014 Politico article, "The Real Origins of the Religious Right." Yes, um, great article. You know, th- th- this for me, the idea of the cynicism and the, the conspiratorial nature of uh, weaponizing uh, Roe v. Wade and abortion, not for pro-life purposes, but, but for pro-power purposes mm. was particularly disappointing and distressing and sinister, uh, really to me, you know, the, the, I, you know, the, the, the Catholics to their credit jumped right on this issue from the moment Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973 and many evangelicals considered it in fact, a Catholic issue because there was yeah. significant dissent in the evangelical community about mm-hmm. about whether or not they should even deal with this, because evangelicals, by and large, were completely um, uh, and, del- and quite deliberately uh, uh, outside of the political conversation in this country and wanted to be. They wanted to be left alone right, by the totally. by the government, and so they left the government alone. And 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 in fact, there was a lot of conversations all throughout the evangelical community for four, five, six years following Roe v. Wade, where they said, you know what, this isn't really. Uh, an issue for the government to be involved in, consistent with with their, you know, small government, leave us alone, we leave you alone, kind of conservative ideology. They said this decision is between a woman, her doctor, her family, and her faith, um, and and we don't want the government involved in that. And yeah. in through those very same years, you had people like um, Jerry Falwell Sr. Um, you had political operatives in the GOP side like Paul Weirich, you know, yes. test market testing, as, as Dr. Palmer says, these different culture war issues, because they weren't really succeeding with their uh, segregationist platform. That was not a, a winning right. argument in the public sphere in the, in the 60s and the 70s during the, the civil rights movement. So they said, let's pivot right. from that. This whole IRS thing wasn't very sexy either, that they were going to lose their, their, um, their yeah. nonprofit status because they were uh, they had segregate, you know. Uh, uh, they were resegregating their schools, um, and um, they they tried divorce, the anti-divorce, and, uh, uh, obviously, famously against pornography. The whole People versus Larry Flint uh, part of this story. Uh, they were against the Equal Rights Amendment and feminism um, and women's yep. rights. They were against. Um, uh, 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 really, really, any any well, the LGBTQ community. In fact, um, uh, uh, Jerry Falwell Senior's first taste of political success was when he came down here to Miami, and he uh, fought alongside um, Anita Bryant to overturn Dade County's um, gay rights ordinance in 1977, mm. and they were successful in doing so. Um, but again, not an issue that a lot of people were really galvanized by, and they were looking for money. And they were looking for power. Um, yeah. And what they realized was the demagoguery of quote unquote baby killers was actually a winning issue. They could manipulate more people in a very cynical fashion uh, by by weaponizing abortion, despite the fact that they really did not, you know, there was nothing sort of pure or, uh, 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 or pro-life about that position. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, even the Southern Baptist Convention uh, was extremely pro-choice in, uh, when, when, when that ruling came out. I mean, you, you, you can see it in their bylaws, how they had the same position of, hey, this is between the mother, you know, the, uh, the um, medical provider and their faith. And then as you know, time went on, that shifted as well. Yeah, that, that, I think those are all really great points. And again, uh, in the evangelical culture, they really go under the radar, right? I mean, there's a, it's a very mythologized origin story of we've always been fighting for religious freedom and values and family values. And then Jerry Falwell Jr. does this and all of a sudden it's no big deal and you know, no one's perfect, et cetera. So I'm kind of curious, was there any other threads or any other content that 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 because of time for editing you had to leave on the cutting room floor? That's like, man, I wish we could have got this in the documentary, but time just wouldn't allow for it. There's one really interesting bit because you know we we compare um, the rise of Reagan to the rise of Trump and mm. uh, and Jerry Falwell Sr.'s um, passionate advocacy and campaigning and galvanizing of, for the first time ever of the evangelical voting block for Reagan. That voting block would, would help to elect every single uh, Republican president from Reagan forward. <clears throat> Pardon me. What was particularly interesting about that election in 1980 compared to 2016, and this is the, uh, one of the very important comparisons that we had to cut for time in 2016, was that um, uh, Ronald Reagan was running against a Sunday school a Baptist Sunday school teacher in Jimmy Carter. Um, yep. And yet the evangelicals came out against one of their own, turned on him in order to support a uh, uh, divorced uh, former B-movie actor turned so-called conservative uh, politician who as governor of California signed one of the most permissive and liberal abortion laws in the late 1960s in the entire country. Uh, whose campaign slogan was "Let's Make America Great Again," um, yep. but they enjoyed the the theatricality of him, the pandering of Ronald Reagan. He was a he was an intuitive actor and and improviser, um, and um, they helped elect him. Um, and then decades later, once again, in a uh, you have Jerry Falwell Jr. wanting to aspiring to be the kingmaker that his father once was, being the first evangelical leader to endorse Donald Trump, a twice-divorced New York playboy um, <laughs> with a, a Democrat, no less, pro-abortion, uh, five children from three different women um, uh, uh, in a primary, and this is what we cut out, in a primary where Ted Cruz was running. Um, where, where Ted Cruz had in 2015 announced his uh, his presidential campaign at convocation at Liberty University, um, a, a, a man who was an evangelical is an evangelical whose father is a pastor who very much thought he had that endorsement in the bag, uh, and then to see once again um, Jerry Falwell Jr. kind of stab one of his own in the back in pursuit of this demagogue um yeah. what 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 that was we, we you know we, we we talked um we did an entire interview um that got cut out of the um out of the documentary um um and with rick tyler who had helped run mm. ted cruz's um campaign who helped set up uh that convocation at liberty for the for the campaign announcement who believed very much so that they were promised the endorsement from Jerry Falwell Jr. 
Um, yes, <laughs> you know? yes. And so that's a whole kind of interesting subplot that, that we didn't have time for in the doc. I think um, in Gangster Capitalism, they cover that that thread, or in, in Godly Lust, one of those covers like that thread on the podcast side a little bit. And I remember listening to that and thinking, oh my gosh, uh, this is, it, at the time, it was such a revelation for me. And I, I thought, wow, like it's just amazing how, you're right, I mean, the, the arc here is power, right? Jerry will go wherever the power is. Um, I was going to ask, in your estimation, based on doing this documentary, how much was Jerry Falwell Jr. responsible for Trump becoming president? Because it seems like in the documentary, the way it's painted is like, hey, without without this 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 connection between Jerry Falwell Jr. putting Trump kind of in that like evangelical light and then defending him, I don't think we would have gotten Trump as much. But what do you think based on your estimation? Well, if I recall correctly, Trump was effectively elected by like 150,000 votes or less in like three counties or like or like three states you know right so right. so when you're dealing with the electoral college every vote counts and it was a very very close election which of course he lost the popular vote in in 2016 yes. so right. so you're talking about a soccer stadium's worth of people in in three states that that really elected donald trump president so everyone and you had record record support Donald Trump from the evangelical voting bloc, more so than than any than including Reagan, you know, than than, yeah. than the Republican uh, uh, nominate nominees before him. Um, I always wonder what people would have said on the right and the left had Barack Obama showed up to the Democratic National Convention with five children from three different women. What the rhetoric would have been like uh, then, but nonetheless, Trump showed up uh, that way and not only won, but won. I think 81% or something of the evangelical yeah. uh, vote, which is so, so again, you know, can you credit, uh, I think you have to credit everybody who had any uh, a part in, in delivering a voting block, not just convincing a few people here and there, but, but Jerry Falwell Jr. is the one who kicked the door open for yeah. other evangelical leaders to say, I guess we, I guess we get, can take a second look at this, uh, at this hedonist from 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 Sodom and Gomorrah, New York City, you know, and and right. say that it's okay to uh, to endorse him and tell our our followers, our flock, to do so. Yeah, well, I mean, 2016 for me, uh, and for a lot of people, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if you heard of the term deconstructing. It's a big thing happening in evangelical spaces where folks are, are are losing their theology because they grew up in these spaces. I mean, in my case, the people who as a child taught me about sexual purity, you know, how masturbation and porn was bad, how Playboy is bad, how I should save myself for marriage. They were then telling me in 2016 that I was a bad Christian for not voting for Donald Trump. And I remember thinking like, wait a second, you guys, you understand what you're telling me to do, right? Like all of a sudden there's just 180. And for a lot of people who grew up in these spaces who I would say took their faith seriously, right, really bought in, uh, it was incredibly uh, shocking. And it was a realization that just because you share the same beliefs doesn't mean you share the same values. And a lot of people in my spaces uh, walked away from the evangelical church while trying to find better paths forward that were still faithful to Jesus. And, and the Trump 2016 and then subsequent, I mean, it just got worse over time. I, I thought it would get better where as Trump lied more and said things that were dehumanizing, that more faith leaders, especially evangelicals, would say, you know what, we really found our limit here. We, 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 we really can't do this anymore. Unfortunately, it only went the other direction leading up to the 2020 election. And then again, faith leaders, Christians, evangelicals were the ones who were pushing this stolen election narrative. So for folks like me, 
this is why we left that way of, of being Christian and are trying to find better paths forward that are more liberating because we could not reconcile how we grew up and what we were taught. And then those same people doing a 180 and then almost gaslighting us, telling us that, oh, well, you're not real Christians anymore. How could you vote that way or have this view? It's all liberal Marxism, progressive garbage. And we're like, I don't, am I losing my mind here? So, so that, that's kind of the other side of it, you know, from, from my vantage point is like, yeah, I'm with you on this completely. You know, it is crazy. What happened? If your faith makes you a better person, makes you a better parent, makes you a better friend, a better neighbor, uh, you know, yeah. a better daughter, a better son. But I mean, like, I love it. More power to you. I don't, you know, I don't really care who or what you worship. I, I, I would hope that you would also not care who or what I, I worship. But most yeah. importantly, what I think we're seeing from from so many pulpits, um, and what what many Americans, particularly Christians, were critical about following nine eleven. Was the was preaching hate from a pulpit? Was using fear and demagoguery and violence and the threat of violence, of inflicting terror, terrorism, um, in order to control people, in order to control government, the outcome of elections. I mean, what what? You know, how is this any better than Islamic extremism? You know, it, it's it, it. This is, uh, you know, this form of political violence um, is it's, you know, it's the Taliban. These are American madrasas that you see in these religious schools that are that are indoctrinating students, not in love, not in acceptance, not in peace, but in in hatred of people who are different than you, who believe differently than you, who may love differently uh, than you, who look different than you, whose skin color may be different. I just don't understand what little I know about Jesus and the Gospels, how that is consistent with with those teachings and those values and and what those allegories are really attempting, the values that they're attempting, attempting to instill. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I tell people all the time, I said, listen, read the Beatitudes, read the Sermon on the Mount, and then look at how these people are acting and then tell me how it lines up. Like, And this is not even a deep reading of a very complicated book that is the Bible. I mean, you could do a fundamentalist, you know, straight up version, just read it in English and see something isn't right. So one of my questions I wanted to ask you, and again, I thank you for your time and making this interview happen with me. Obviously, there, I, I, well, maybe, maybe not obviously, but to me, I would imagine if you're making a movie, there's always some kind of like audience in your head head that you're like, man, if only they could see this, hopefully it, w- it would do this. Who was your target audience, at least in your mind, when, when, when you were creating the documentary? Was it evangelicals, just a general population? Wh- who were you thinking about? Hulu subscribers, Tim. Um, That's me. I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, listen, it's, you know, so, so, uh, so, so much information and entertainment is so siloed. Uh, now, um, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I wanted to tell an a- what we hope was an accurate history. We also the the vast majority of our interview subjects are Christians. One of them is a, right. is an evangelical pastor in Randall Balmer. Um, yeah. Again, all of their their beliefs and their facts may not be consistent with <laughs> with everyone's beliefs and or what they believe their fact the facts to be. Um, but I was profoundly moved while interviewing them and. 
getting into a conversation about January 6th and the Christian mm. iconography, the religious leaders uh, you know, who were present, the prayer, the, 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 the Q shaman, the QAnon shaman, you know, breaking into uh, 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 the people's house and, 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 and praying uh, for what? Praying, you know, in, in service of insurrection, in the, in, in, in the uh, uh, disruption and potential overturning of a free and fair democratic election, in the potential execution or attempted execution of, uh, our, of the vice president of the United States, of, of the speaker of the house, of the second and third most powerful people in, in the line of succession uh, in, our, in our country. Um, the first time in the history of the United States that the the traitorous flag of the Confederacy flew inside our nation's capital. People who attempted to overthrow the government of this country in pursuit of being able to uh, uh, in, uh, 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 kidnap and enslave and torture fellow human beings for the for, for their own means. I mean, just uh, an extraordinarily hateful and heinous moment in our history with with, with religious iconography everywhere and and how profoundly saddened and heartbroken of uh, the people that we interviewed were i mean someone saying unequivocally obviously there was nothing christian about what took place on on january 6th and i realized it's not so obvious to a lot of people it's it's really not so obvious that that i mean because they have a very different view on what perhaps Christianity is and means. And, and those are really the people I hope would see it and, and take pause and just say like, okay, well, maybe that, you know, maybe we're not sending our best to borrow a, uh, to borrow a, a, a turn of phrase, you know, may, may, yeah. maybe we can do better. Maybe we can be not just better Christians. I don't know that I even know what that, what, you know, understand what that means personally, but be better Americans, uh, you know, yeah. No, I, I I want the audience to know I did not pay Billy to say any of that because I rant almost like that, like word for word. So, you know, it's just so interesting that you frame it like that because literally we do so much content and we've covered the sixth. I mean, and, and we will continue to cover it incessantly because you're right. When you're watching people pray to Jesus in the Capitol building, thanking him for this victory, and then Christians say, well, ah, just a few bad actors. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need accountable Christians, okay? That's what we're asking for. I'm not, I, we understand that no one's perfect. Things People do bad things. But can we have some accountability in these spaces? And Mike, it seems Mike, like in evangelical circles there Mike, is. Mike Pence, by all accounts, is a Christian. They built a gallows to hang him for to crying totally. out loud. I mean, totally. it's, you know, I mean, how is that the Christian thing to do? No, I'm with you all the way. Um, how has reception been overall to the documentary? I mean, you know, the, 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 the trailer dropped a few weeks ago. It took off on Twitter. I shared it. You know, people in my spaces were so excited uh, asking me, Tim, are you going to watch something? Like, of course, I'm going to watch it. This is my job. I'm watching it on day one. Uh, so I did. I loved it. I made a video about it. How's reception been for you overall uh, um, with the documentary? It's been overwhelming. Mostly positive, but obviously a fair mix of both. You know, I, I, that's but that's the nature of these things. You, you you produce them so that people will watch them, so that hopefully people will talk about them and and maybe you know agree or disagree, uh, and we can have conversations uh, like this. Um, and and um, and I hope that that's what it does. Is the the best documentaries I think are just the start of a conversation. You know, they're just mm. you know it's an hour and forty eight minutes. We do our best to tell you know. Uh, to tell the story, but really it's just, it, it kind of opens up a lot of can of worms over the course. I mean, there, there's any 
five, 10, 15 seconds of that documentary could be an entire documentary or an entire episode or an entire hour um, in and yeah. of them, in and of themselves. And, and I, I would hope that, that just people you know, would, would be willing to, uh, to have those conversations. They're also documentaries can be a Rorschach in many ways because we all bring mm. our own experience and baggage uh, along with us. And, and we see different things, you know, different things mean different things and also speak to us. You know, my, my buddy, Dan Levitard, um, you know, a, a, a Cuban American, Miami, and, you know, he was fixated on some of the characters in the story, including Giancarlo, who he knew just from growing up as a Cuban American in Miami, huh. like he just, he was so fixated on, on, on that part of the story, because again, that was his experience and his baggage. So he, he wanted to talk all about them and, you know, him and his parents and how he was raised and how he was kind of, you know, he felt he was, you know, got in over his head and was led astray here. Like he was fixated on that part of it. You know, uh, you, you know, you, you and I are having this conversation. This is the new evangelicals. We're having, you know, we're having that part of the conversation. Some people want to yeah. talk just about the Trump, you know, part of, of, of the story. Some people want to talk about the sex, but some people want to talk about the real estate hustle kind of part of the story. Uh -huh, some people want uh -huh. to talk about Liberty Unifor. I like, I just think there's a lot going on there and, and I'm happy that people are giving it a chance. Again, people who may or may not agree with some of the, the interview subjects and their take on this, but are willing to say either, this is interesting. Let's have a conversation about it or fuck this all, you know, there, there's people who say, you know, fuck, this is a propaganda piece or this is, yeah, you know, right, this or right. that, you know, it's what, piece, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a, which I don't think, I don't think it is. I think it's, I think, I think there are some inconvenient facts. I think, his, I think history <laughs> yeah. can be, I think history can be terribly unpleasant and history can make us feel uncomfortable, even modern history. And I think that that's okay. Um, I, you know, I think that, I think it's worth, it's a conversation worth having. Well, I'll tell you the part that I felt uh, most vindicated by was a couple of years ago when the original story about about all this dropped. I think it was Reuters did, did a report on it. I shared it on my Facebook, and my senior pastor at the time accused me of gossiping, and I was like, I don't. I, I said you should read the article. Like, this is clear, you know. But then in the documentary, towards the end, there's a scene where you have actual video footage of them on a FaceTime call that honestly made my i gotta be honest with you billy like my jaw dropped in the re, and there were two reasons to this number one because in the in the documentary there's like dramatized you know portions where you have people kind of acting out certain scenes so i thought it was one of these like we're acting out the scene and then i go holy shit that's the actual video and then you see jerry pop behind a door while this is happening which in i mean i'm not gonna say opinion i think it's, it's, it's some objective truth here that obviously they knew exactly what was going on i mean jerry was obviously aware of this of this situation happening you know and to me i felt incredibly vindicated in my head by saying see senior pastor from years ago i was not lying to you i have the evidence right here but yeah that part for me was by, by far the most shocking i feel like see senior pastor from years ago is a very common <laughs> phrase for you. you, you it is. <laughs> I feel like you probably start a lot of sentences or, or, or social media posts with that phrase, uh, Kim. But, um, but I, but, you, know, you know what, <clears throat> pardon me, when you asked me earlier no, about sure. things that, when you asked me earlier about things that shocked me, um, yeah. I, I didn't want to, I, I could have, I guess I could have said that prefacing it with a spoiler alert because, um, uh, yeah, you know, what we do with documentary filmmaking is we kind of straddle, um, journalism and entertainment. So, mm. you know, we, we, we're always, it's always in service of the truth and following the facts and doing so in a 
in a com- uh, an aesthetically compelling way. So the audience will sure. stay along for the ride, obviously, you know, and and um, especially this arc, which goes a lot, you know, covers somehow a lot of decades and a lot of subject yeah. and, and, and some of my favorite movies, if I showed you the first five minutes and the last five minutes, you would be convinced they came from two totally different mm. documentaries. You'd be like, how the hell do they get from point A to point Z in an hour and 35 minutes? I have no idea. Um, and so right. I think that's, you know, you want the audience to go on that journey with you in order to do that. You have to entertain, you know, to some extent. And so yeah. here we wanted to do, like you said, with the reenactments, some of the sexier sort of, you know, the movie goes from like Zalman King to Ken Burns over the course of an hour and 48 minutes, you know, um, it's like from the Red Shoe Diaries to Civil War, like all, you know, mm. like in, in, in less than two, in under two hours. But um, yeah. also what we need to do is we need to follow the truth and, you know, is to, is to deliver, deliver the truth and follow the facts. And to that end, we put Giancarlo through the ringer. I mean, we didn't take his mm. word for it. Everything had to be corroborated. He provided copious amounts of text messages, many hundreds of times what you see in in mm. the documentary itself. He provided emails, right. photographs, and then, yes, video that was excerpted, a very tiny excerpt you saw in the documentary from a much longer piece of video that was, I would say, particularly shocking in no small part because of when it when it when it's from which is like January of 2019 which is about 7 years after the start of this alleged cuckold threesome um yeah. uh, uh, whereas Jerry and Becky had claimed this was only a 2 year affair um from like 2012 to about 2014 that it was a secret affair between Giancarlo and Becky that Jerry did not know about it as it was playing out in the so like right. so this piece of evidence is you've as you've indicated, um, is pretty much a mic drop when it comes to corroboration, um, because it 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 basically counters everything, uh, you know, all the different versions of the story that the Falwells uh, had told, um, including not only how long the affair went on for, um, but Jerry's knowledge, involvement, uh, his right. his playful interaction with it that you see and and incidentally the shot that you see is not jerry's only appearance in the in the total video it's just one of the most um kind of dramatic obvious and and if you see what he's doing with his hand in Mm. slow motion there you'll understand why that that moment speaks most profoundly to the facts Okay. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, see, see, senior pastor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna send this Tim to him. Here you go. His, <laughs> Tim wagging his finger and typing it. Look same at me time. now. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. I, I appreciate you coming on. I have one final question for you, then, and then I'll let you go and get back to it. This is more of like a filmmaking side because I, I know nothing about filmmaking. I mean, I'm a total amateur. I enjoy movies. I think I don't know. You'd probably be appalled at, at, at what I say is a good movie. I want of those people um you know as someone who is making a documentary how do, i mean you have to capture hundreds of hours of footage i'm assuming how do you a have the patience and in, in, in detail-oriented mind to sift through that but then to find the the right pieces to, to to stitch the narrative together factually that that is quite the task i just have to hear your insight on this very carefully Mm. <laughs> and, and it's onerous. The first thing I want to say is I would not be appalled by your choice in entertainment any more than I would be appalled by someone's choice 
in their faith or their or their religion, whatever whatever floats your boat, dude. You know, like that's why it's called entertainment. That's why there are so many options because it's different strokes uh, for different folks. You know, I, I'm I have no problem with your in, enjoying. You know, you, you might think that I think it's lowbrow. I, I don't know that that's that that's even true. You know, I I, I mean I, I enjoy a lot of what what people might consider to be lowbrow entertainment let's face it at the end of the day when we get home and get into bed and are going to net or hulu and chill as i have to call it like you don't always want the heavy shit dude you want you totally. want to you know unplug the brain and 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 not you know get you know get, get go to bed all stressed or you stay up all night worried about the world you want to just chill and watch something fun so i'm, I'm all about that more power to you dude. that's why you know? i watch hell's kitchen on hulu you know that's what i watch i watch gordon ramsay yell at people it feels i feel a lot better you kidding? What the hell's the matter with no? I'm just kidding. So <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> no, that was that has always been one of my guilty. But that's like a 10, 15 year old guilty pleasure, dude. Hell's are you kidding? Oh my god. Yeah, totally. Um, but uh, so we. I mean, listen, we interviewed Giancarlo for a total of four days over like wow. a year's time. Um. Yeah, I mean, we acquire. I mean, like with convocation footage from Liberty alone, that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage that you have to whittle down and, and, and get the most pertinent uh, parts. So yeah, there's a lot of decision-making. Um, and in our documentaries, I can use Cocaine Cowboys as an example, um, uh, as opposed to our latest, Cuckold Cowboys. Um, but co- Cocaine Cowboys, uh, the average like feature project, like two-hour movie or doc, has about 1,500 cuts in it. Cocaine Cowboys has 5,000 cuts in it. Um, I don't think God forbid is quite that elaborate, but it comes close. It's a, it's a very fast paced, quick cutting mm-hmm. piece because we have a lot, you know, story to tell. We have a lot, you know, our interview subjects want to say, uh, and we have a lot of corroboration and, and supporting materials and photos and, and, and archive video and everything and documents and text messages, uh, et cetera. Um, and so we have a lot that we want to, want to pack in, pack in there, um, but it really, and, and, and in our case, we are moving forward and backwards in time. You know, it's, it's, it's a, right. you know, the chronology spans, you know, 50 plus years, but, but yet goes back and forth, you know, not, not in, in, in a traditional chronological order. And so it's a lot of trial and error. you like, of just, you know, what is coherent? When do we flash back? How do we not create that moment where the audience kind of groans when we, when the, when the archive footage come you're like, uh, you know, like you get that moment, you're like, oh, the, less, it, you know, what was the, the joke in, you know, um, you know, when, uh, uh, um, you know, um, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, it has a very long time. It's like the message moment, you know, where like, um, Keenan yeah. Ivory Wayans kind of pops in and goes, message, you know, like, yes, you don't, yes. you, you want to do that somewhat seamlessly in the cut. And so again, it's, it's trial and error and, and then experience too, you know, that we've been doing this for about 22 years, uh, nearly 20 projects. And so you, you learn with each one, you know, so again, some, like I said, some of them you get right, some of them you, you, you get wrong, but you always learn something and, and, and hopefully you, you learn how to better pace a story uh, and, and better build, uh, build a story. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Billy, like I said, um, truly great having you on in, in one sense, it's really a shame that evangelicals can't hold their own accountable. But on the other hand, having folks like you doing documentaries like this just helps people like me and people in, in my space who are desperately trying to find better paths forward, uh, 
feel seen, you know, and feel heard and feel even kind of vindicated. Like, listen, we're not making this up when we tell you that that there's some serious corruption in these spaces that we have to be aware of uh, if we're going to call ourselves Christians. So uh, a sincere thank you from me personally and from our community. Many folks messaged me uh, just saying, um, you know, how important the documentary was, how it was so frustrating and infuriating, but so needed. Uh, so it's one of those things, right, where it's it, it's some bitter medicine, but man, it, it, it was certainly needed. So a sincere what's, thank you. What's bitter, for, what's bitter for me is that the Liberty Flames are a better football team than the Miami Hurricanes <laughs> are. I'll tell you that right now. But but also, but, but also in all, in all honesty, like I, I, and I think this is, this is the strength of, of um, art, of journalism, of social media, that this brought us together, you know, you yeah. and I to, to have this conversation. I don't, two people who would otherwise, you know, never know each other, <laughs> never meet and, and never, I think, right. you know, I had this exchange of ideas, which I think is, is, yeah. is, is healthy. And I think what's missing obviously from so much of the discourse uh, these days on, on, you know, in, in whether it's social media or religion or politics or, or whatever it is. And I'm very grateful uh, to you for, for watching the doc, for telling other people about it and for, for having me here to have this, uh, this, this conversation with you. Well, you can bet anytime you cover anything evangelical, I'll be reaching out to talk about it. So thanks again for your time. I appreciate it. Good night and good cuck. (laughs) Jesus. Stigmas around mental health were designed to hold us down, but we don't have to let them. If you're struggling, text or call 988 to connect with a trained crisis counselor who won't judge, just listen. 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Hope has a new number.